0: gentlemen this is your captain speaking (laughs) i um just wanted to jump up the front of the episode real quick with a a couple little things we forgot to say when we recorded the episode first of all thank you so much for listening It's been really exciting watching our numbers tick up and we'd love to have more people listen. So if you know anyone that would enjoy the show, by all means, send it to them and come and like us on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash beefstationpod. If you have any questions, comments, or (laughs) I'm sure corrections for us, you can email us at beefstationpod at gmail.com and we want to issue here a Beef Station guarantee. If you write into the show with an idea for a couple films you think it'd be good for us to discuss, we promise we'll do it as an episode. How's that? Oh, we take care of you guys. Take it away, honey. Welcome back
1: to Beef Station. It's episode 10. I'm Oscar. I'm Andrew. I'm here to deconstruct things more than intended and uh, explain why people shouldn't have a with the Android. <laughs> We've made it.
0: Episode 10. Yeah,
1: big 1-0.
0: <laughs> to celebrate this milestone episode as we rocket through the stars in the officially licensed Beef Station deep space probe. we stars gonna...
1: two on here and I want to die. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're going to pop a bottle of space champagne. What going and... we do
1: with Callum and Pat? <laughs> <laughs> <They're> Joseph, in, <laughs> straight out of the element, they're, they're in the hold we used them up and spat
0: them out in the galley <laughs> well to celebrate this milestone up, I thought we'd pop a bottle of space champagne and boldly nice. go where no man has ever gone before Vietnam space champagne sounds fucking great yeah Viet,
1: <laughs> the Vietnam yeah. it's
0: our Vietnam special we thought you know what we've <laughs> we had a lovely episode about <laughs> Immigrants and terrorism so delicately Why not, why not Let's take on hotel? something important yeah. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We can just really alienate the rest of our listeners Oh yeah so, Hello to all you war vets out here I don't know what you're doing Yep So today we um, are watching a couple movies That centre around the Vietnam War Mmm the first of which that we watched was *Apocalypse Now*, which is a Francis Ford Coppola movie from 1979. Correct. Which is quite a a staple of modern cinema. It's widely regarded to be sort of one yeah. of the
1: greatest films ever made. Yeah, and certainly a, uh, in the top echelons of Vietnam War films. At this,
0: yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a huge achievement and a huge feat that mm. they pulled off in filmmaking. They battled all these obstacles to actually get the film. Finished. Yeah, we'll get stuck into it. But yeah, by all and,
1: accounts, that went through production. Absolute oh, hell, exactly. Yeah. And then the second
0: film we watched, we thought to add a bit of contrast, would be "Good Morning Vietnam," the Robin Williams film from I think nineteen eighty-seven or something. I think that's eighty-seven, yeah. yeah. Um, which actually turned out to be quite appropriate because we just found out today happens to be Robert, Robin Williams' birthday. It is, yeah. Or, he would have been uh, would have been <laughs> sixty something, and sixty-seven, I think, sixty something like that. And also, I didn't realize "Good Morning Vietnam." It's about this radio DJ, Adrian Cronauer. And it's based on a true story, and the actual Adrian Adrian Cronauer died in the U.S. like last night. Yeah, yeah, pretty um, crazy. So, there and you he go.
1: actually <laughs> ended up contributing. So, he, he, uh, in the late '70s, Cronauer had this idea for a television sitcom that would be like a blend of Mash and uh, WKRP in Cincinnati, yeah, um, which are two really popular TV series. And that idea of blending the Vietnam era and a uh, radio presentation um, milieu for a kind of comedy film actually ended up becoming... Kind of ended up Good being Morning this Vietnam. film, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, so we could, I thought we could maybe start this up by talking a bit about Adrian Cronauer. I think it's fair to say that both of us, being Australians, probably aren't that familiar with the Vietnam War um, yeah, or necessarily well, much of the culture that surrounds it outside young. of media. Well, yeah. maybe, yeah. Um, so I've, I've got... um But it mentions it a bit. I've got this little obit that was just published for the real-life DJ Adrian Cronauer. Yeah. Um, in the film and in real life, he was a radio presenter on this radio station in Saigon in sort of 1965 or so. And he was well-known for this enthusiastic good morning, Vietnam, kind nice. of greeting. Thank you. Thank you. And he played like American rock and roll music when at the time it was apparently a bit more Supposed traditional just Frank play. Sinatra and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like boring traditional shit. And uh, it says here he would sort of play, you know, the Stones and um, the Beatles and that that kind of stuff. I think that in the film, where Robin Williams plays this DJ Adrian Cronauer, it's not necessarily based on him at all other than in name and the fact that he was a radio presenter
1: in Yeah, it's probably Saigon. pretty loose. It's, it's
0: pretty hammy and yeah. pretty comic, but it's based at least in spirit on this guy who had a, a big impact on the troops yeah. over there, and he was sort of wacky, a, a, bit, a, bit, a bit more wild than mm. DJs might have been at the time. The idea is, though, that Good Morning Vietnam stars uh, Robin Williams, as yep. this radio DJ who's enthusiastic and wild and wacky, and the film goes to a great level of detail to sort of show how boring and droll the other DJs are. It's like, good morning, it's January the 17th, 1965, and this morning there's a shipment of this coming in from the port. And yeah. Like really robotic, and Robin Williams comes in, and he's all wacky and wild and yeah, funny. Starts off with um, yeah, starts up for that yell. Yeah, and Forrest Whitaker plays his assistant, Yep, and there's a couple other big names that I don't might not necessarily recognize, but they're the two big stars that I think people would recognize these days. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it takes a bit I, of. It's a
1: it's the case in um, both of these films where like there's a couple of cast members that people would know, and then the yeah. rest are like people who are famous in the 70s and 80s, but people <laughs> yeah, we exactly. don't really know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like um, like fucking Dennis Hopper or something's a big name. Yeah, and yeah, Apocalypse yeah. Now. Huge, but no idea what that is. Yeah. yeah no. uh, Good Morning Vietnam, I think, is definitely interesting, if only because it takes a really interesting and comedic kind of look mm. at Vietnam War and sort of offers its own commentary and maybe a bit of satire on that kind of army culture, yeah, for leadership sure. yeah. and that kind of thing, and maybe a bit of PTSD-type stuff from an interesting kind of perspective, which I thought was worth watching. Um It was the first time I'd watched it. The, I'd watched it more than once. It was the second time I'd watched it. It was the first time you've first seen time it. First time I've seen it, yeah. What would you think?
1: Yeah, look, I really enjoyed it. Um I, I, I think like uh, it takes a very humanistic approach to the era of the Vietnam War. Like We don't get much of a... We don't get much of the grand scale because this was a war—the Vietnam War. Uh, I should preface all of this podcast episode by saying that both of us know very little about this era historically. <laughs> very little in general, but specifically, yeah. Both of us know very but little, especially about, the Vietnam, about war. the
0: Vietnam War. I had to like look up the um, Wikipedia article last night I got it open in front of me so, um, I so it went realize. on for like
1: 19 years yeah so Sorry. i think
0: they started the us started putting troops into vietnam on a pretty serious scale in the early 60s i think yeah. it said somewhere that like from 59 to 60 to 61 they went from like 1000 to 16000 troops and then by 64 they had almost 200000 troops in vietnam yeah, yeah, and yeah. so as the presidencies changed and they sort of rolled out more authorization and powers to sort of up the military presence yeah um yeah, so they both- got more They got a a bigger ability and bigger power to sort of put more military forces into Vietnam. For all of our (laughs) friends that are as dumb as us and don't necessarily know much about the conflict, like I didn't, the main fear was this kind of Cold War fear of Mm. the spread of communism. Communism, yeah. The idea being that North Vietnam was controlled by communist forces or was communist, and that was where the Viet Cong that you might have heard for that was kind of yeah, the, for, the armed forces yep. with the Viet Cong the, in this communist area and they were at and war were, with the south yeah yep. and they were slowly pushing south and so the US was allied with south Vietnam along with I guess Australia and yep. France and something and they were at Alice, war with yeah. the north of Vietnam yep Yeah. And it was kind of people said that uh, some critics call it like a almost like a proxy Cold War because yeah. the North Vietnam was backed by like Russia and China, and other communist forces, other communist yeah. forces, yeah, yeah. And so
1: it's commies versus allies in in a different, yeah. And so in yeah, the same way as the Cold
0: War was looming over the whole world for those that period of time, um, like forty years. <laughs> yeah, this was a a big cultural thing. My dad said, for example, that like from the time he was born up until he was about ten all he remembered was that there was a war going on in Vietnam. Like, my dad remembers watching the TV when he was like...
1: It's probably a bit like us with Iraq. I imagine so. We sort of hit the... You know, I mean, that was right after 9-11, but... um... Let's see if we can work 9 11 into every single episode of this. <laughs> it was <laughs> gas chambers last week, so it's it's nice if we could dial it oh, back. To be clear, I didn't mean. I, I didn't mean. Um, Maybe that didn't make the cut. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> no, I, I think it did, but I meant in prisons when yeah, they yeah. execute Okay, pri- right. Yeah, you know. Well, it'd be nice not, if we could uh, dial,
0: dial yeah, it no. back from gas chambers to nine <laughs> yeah. <We> eleven. <could>, <laughs> we could. All of our listeners could breathe a sigh of relief. Right. Like, oh my God.
1: Oh. After a little more relativizing national tragedies. I think, uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. We've got, we got a well, hierarchy only of talking a... about Oscar Schindler this time. It's <laughs> nothing for fucked
0: <laughs> um maybe maybe but, so my dad says for example he remembered watching the tv when he was like nine and mm. watching the conscription because australia had conscription as yeah, well as yeah, the us yeah. they yeah. would have like a lotto ball type thing where yeah. the lady would reach into the thing and bring out a ball with a date on it and if that was your birthday yeah you, you were, were conscripted fucked off to vietnam my dad remembers watching his birthday come out on tv shit being like fuck if i was like 8 years older or yeah. whatever it was I'd be in Vietnam right fucking now. Fucking hell. Yeah. That's crazy. So like that's e- e- insane. even my dad who Jesus was like Christ. whatever it was 9 or 10 at the time has still has like a deep memory that has kind of stayed with him about it. Yeah, that's fucking um, crazy. <laughs> which is a long drawn out way of our apology
1: in the future for anything that we fuck oh, yeah. up. Here. We're just uh, I think like, you know, we we watch the films obviously, but we yeah. don't really know much about the historical context. So we'll do our best, but I think this is um, so more, these... cele-
0: more a celebration of the film that was inspired by these events because they're both it's fair to say that the films we're talking about today and a lot of other Vietnam films that are out there are both all fantastic Mm -hmm. and all show something about this element of emotional attachment that's ingrained in society and it's associated with these films and the importance that a lot of these films have be them drama or action or comedy in representing the way we all experienced the Vietnam War
1: yeah. Back then. So, just to um, contextualize a bit of that into the, the these two narratives. So, as we said, Good Morning Vietnam came out about. Eight years eight, later. Yeah, so it came later. out in 1987. Um, but the two films take place in the context of the Vietnam War, only four years apart. So Good Morning Vietnam is based in 1965. Yeah. Uh, Apocalypse Now is based in 1969. And both of these films fall in the, into the general uh, period of Lyndon B. Johnson's escalation of the conflict, right, so which happened was... between 63 and 69. Exactly. So I sort of mentioned they went from like sixteen thousand troops to like two hundred thousand. Yeah. So this is during that, that was him that, that really that. escalative yeah. period. Both of these films are looking at, and I think maybe from again, not sure, but um, I would guess that. A lot of the general sensation of like um, horror and tragedy that comes out of the Vietnam War probably happens in this yeah. really like intensifying period, you know, where things were starting to become public, about how horrible it was. Yeah, absolutely. they were starting to get towards the end of that period, they were starting to get messages from Nixon saying things like, this is going to get worse before it gets better. And you know really, I think that the people that um, well, my rudimentary understanding is that the people that were instructing this conflict, sort of knew that it wasn't going very well yeah. from much earlier than people on the ground learned yeah. that it wasn't going very exactly. well. Yeah, so it's interesting that, um, uh, as you mentioned before, like I think uh, Good Morning Vietnam is a really interesting case because it takes this... Uh, almost all of the film has Robin Williams... Character in it, yeah. Um, so it's it's hyper focused in on this one person's kind of experience of their relatively short stay. There's no he's not involved in the conflict. Mm. He's only involved in the broadcasting aspect of things. Although what we do get are like these little cross sectional human elements of it's almost like documentary. Oh, right. So yeah. So
0: it focuses sort of half on the story of Robin Williams' character, yep. and then it has extended periods where you can listen to Robin Williams' character doing his radio broadcast. Yeah. and it's over shots, sort of almost documentary style shots of slice scene, of life kind of things and like yeah, landscapes yeah. in vietnam and that kind of thing or like
1: I, people eating on the street because they're listening you see people's reactions as they're listening to the broadcast like Soldiers cast, laughing, be laughing and stuff and, like, yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. i don't think we've specifically said so the idea
0: behind good morning vietnam is um there's this radio station in saigon all the troops listen to it and the general that runs this radio station has heard about this great sort of Air Force guy who does a, a fantastic, funny, exciting radio show on some US base in Europe somewhere. And he goes, oh, we got to get this guy. And he, so he gets posted to Saigon and he gets yep. brought over. And the story is of Robin Williams uh, being the new, wacky, exciting, beloved radio DJ in Saigon um, in one of the periods where the conflict is really heating up. Yep. And there's a lot of funny conflict between the dry lieutenant and like the hard ass sergeant major or whoever that run the radio studio and take it sort of super super seriously yeah and robin who's just trying to be lighthearted and entertain the troops and so that's the story of the film and it as as he goes on he becomes more and more involved in uh sort of a human story about people that are involved in the well, Vietnamese locals who are involved in the yeah, conflict yeah. so he
1: the main way that they do that is because he takes up teaching an English class because um, he's romantically interested in this Vietnamese yeah, lady, and yeah. then he befriends chess and pussy the lady's brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: some of the just, some of the aspects of this movie just, haven't aged well. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: It's nice to know that another of, twenty years later, our language has some of our commentary hasn't <laughs>
0: aged well. Yeah. Just in case you didn't like
1: our commentary in the Vietnam War. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, let's see if we can alienate everyone. <laughs> 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 yeah, um... Hi, Pat, thanks for
0: listening to episode 10 of Beach Nation. It's nice <laughs> to have you here. Our stalwart uh, listeners. <laughs> be the only ones left. And there's hundreds of listeners in Thailand that we're paid. people to listen to this podcast. <laughs> what do you mean to start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true.
1: So, I think one of the things that's most interesting about Good Morning Vietnam is that it takes... Because it's using this, this character whose whole premise is that he's outrageous and funny and yeah. uh, a total change of tone. It doesn't really fit in with the disciplinary... It's very disruptive, Yeah, exactly. So they're viewing this kind of, like, um, huge... I can't think of a word to describe it, but, like, the hor- this horrifying conflict, but they're viewing yeah. it through the lens of humour. Exactly. Um, and these very human interactions that he has.
0: Well, I think it's interesting that all... So all the higher command, like, the lieutenant, Lieutenant Hawk, that sort of thinks he's funny, but he's, like, the most boring man ever, <sighs> and the major who just treats the whole radio station as this military operation and doesn't give a fuck what the radio is actually like. Um, All these military personnel he's involved with are so strict and so sort of taking this radio station that's sort of largely unimportant so super hyper seriously. I think it's almost like a satire on military command. Yeah,
1: it is. Yeah.
0: um, Yeah, How how (laughs) perhaps how disastrous and
1: how silly it might have been. Yeah, and uh, the other thing that was interesting that I didn't really expect um, this movie to kind of broach as as territory was, or or it was unorthodox in its approach. I felt is that so there's kind of like three senior guys above Robin Williams' character. Yeah, and the first two are the two that you were just describing. How the yeah. one the 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 next one up thinks he's funny and he thinks he can do the job and he's fucking obviously not. Yeah, um, the one above that is is really kind of actually sinister and at one point in the film tries to. Um, he makes a decision with total disregard for Robin Williams' character's exactly, life. Yeah. So. Yeah. avoiding spoilers, but yeah, um, and then but then the one above that, who's kind of I, I think is a general, he's a general sort of commanding uh, a large portion of the conflict, is yeah. the one who. Uh, he likes Robin Williams' character. He, the he's the place. one who decided that they should pull him across. Yeah. He's like this Cronale guy's
0: great, and every time Adrian Cronale, that's the character's name, makes yeah. a little fuck
1: up, he's like, "No, nah, but he's a good DJ. He makes mistakes. He's great. We should keep him." The Yeah, love and him, and right? actually, he was the reasonable one. Yeah, um, which is interesting because he was he's like, the, like the lovable granddad kind of figure. Yeah, and and you know his the whole way through the film, um, and I think this was generally evident is yeah. that um, the 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 whole way through the film, and I think this is generally evident is that his approach is. If the men like it, if it's boosting morale, keep it. It doesn't fucking matter that you don't like it. Put your small politics aside. This is good for the people. You can't see past your own selfishness. Yeah, Um, exactly. And it was really interesting to have that kind of like, as you go above Williams' characters, like as you go above that military hierarchy or as you go higher in it, you expect that everyone above him would have an issue, would take issue, but yeah. actually it's just these two fuckwits. Yeah. And then as, as you the, go up, even people the have guys regard for the tiny details. And exactly. Everything. Yeah, exactly. And and have this more like grand, reasonable perspective. Yeah. And I think um, one of the things that becomes clear is that although Robin Williams might be sort of a bit naive and selfish when he starts um, in this film, he, the the perspective that he comes to occupy yeah. is probably closer to that general's perspective of like this. It's what I'm doing is important because of how much people need it yeah, here. Exactly. Rather than because I have this selfish reason, like I want to meet the woman that I started teaching the English class for. Or, or, yeah. Or whatever, like he, so.
0: he starts, he starts teaching his English. There's this sub side plot with the weirdo really, woman that he's in love with, um, where he just bribes the English teacher to let him teach the English class for a yeah. day just so he can be wacky and charming and sort of charm this, this Vietnamese lady, and she makes it pretty clear early on that she's not interested, but he keeps going anyway. Yeah, and so sort of paints him as this human, humanistic kind of guy who just really cares about people and is just there to.
1: Yeah, a bit yeah. separate to the. I think that that is one of the aspects of the plot that hasn't really aged well. Is that <laughs> it's sort of like the power dynamics there are, um, are a little bit uh, well, I th- unfortunate. I
0: mean, yeah, but I think that's also a, uh, that could also be a commentary on maybe the sort of the soldier local
1: oh yeah I'm sure it was yeah i sure. I mean because there's
0: yeah. a whole point where the Vietnamese woman says no it's never going to work out between an American man and, like this Vietnamese woman I'm not yeah. even interested
1: and like you're the soldier and you're a foreigner in my country and all this yeah, shit yeah 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 um, I thought um, and he even he doesn't he yeah. barely knows her it's exactly. sort of a love in, love at first sight kind of thing and he yeah. you know he just makes a comment about how he's been looking at Greek women for <laughs> however many years that just look like trolls. So um, it's this classic Robert Williams thing where he busts into like a different voice and a different accent every
0: 10 yeah, seconds. Yeah. Um, it's like his whole humor is done based on stereotypes. Yeah. I always feel bad laughing at it, but he's so funny.
1: There are a lot of parts of this that if you really like, yeah. you know, it would, it would be hard to make an argument that it wasn't problematic, but, um, you know, it was there are I think the majority of it is still just great. Yeah. Great I don't humor about the war. Well,
0: yeah, I don't think whether this is true, but um I think a lot of our parents might have been might be more familiar with this film, but I can't imagine that many of the people our age will have seen it. And I think it's definitely no, I, a I, film that's you know, worth I, seeing. Yeah. It's it's good fun. Well, and before want... we accidentally spoil anything, hmm. I think it's definitely great to go and see. It's an entertaining, funny, it's not like oh yeah. I don't want to watch a war movie. It's good. I think it has just the right balance of war movie type shit. And like it's also a Robin Williams comedy, and it's I like think it's 50% probably 50
1: percent Robin Williams improv tapes. Yeah, exactly. Because so, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. you,
0: you get to see these like big long mic breaks. Like I think yeah, the first yeah, yeah. one of the first things of one of the first. And then big when they long fix shots the mic. The you get to watch Robin Williams. Speak <laughs> <at> Robin. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you! Here, <laughs> serves me right for trying to use my radio, yeah, my radio <laughs> that's jargon. Right, yeah. um, gonna shut down the yeah shut down the jargon (laughs) yeah um but uh, so Robin Williams has these like big long uh mic breaks that he's doing on the radio and so like he his character arrives and is sort of slow and silent and sort of droll and he wakes up and he's bleary and then he sort of immediately switches into Robin Williams
1: comedy mode as soon Mm -hmm. as he goes on the air it's good yeah like he's got this quote of um Forrest Whitaker says like oh you got to be on in a couple of minutes and he's like I'm not even occupying my body (laughs) it's really yeah it's great stuff yeah um Um, something I thought was really a a good point of
0: comparison between Apocalypse Now and Good Morning Vietnam was the way in which they treat the idea of um, desensitization on the part of the Mm. military. And that's, um, for example, through the way that I was talking about how the high command and the, the lieutenant and the major that run the radio station that are sort of choosing weird little ways to run the radio station that have no regard for the soldiers that are out there like yeah. the lieutenant's are like no the rules say we have to play polka and classical music and maybe a bit of Frank Sinatra with no regard for the fact that yeah. everyone wants
1: to listen to rock and roll i think they're or, epitomizing like conservatism well yeah you know? perhaps
0: yeah and also like the idea that um there's a main staple of the film is you see these sort of newsreel i don't know what they're called but like they're like automatic typewriter things that have like transmissions that are sent to them and there's little news tickets yeah. that come out and they get these the news it's like a telegraph machine something like that yeah. 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 they get news that's, that they receive on this little telegraph thing and then they have sensors right there that sort of cross out the news you can't mention Yeah, and uh, the character uh, the the, the- Robin Williams' character has a whole sort of through line where he wants to be reading this news and this reality and everyone knows what's going on because yeah. it's happening right outside the door of the to radio them. station. But they're still like, no, you can't mention that there are soldiers yeah. here and there. And it's this idea of... Um, censorship. Censorship and the idea of like cultivating this little fantasy world mm. that the radio station is broadcasting to, even though it's broadcasting to soldiers that are in the middle of this conflict and yeah. they know what's going on.
1: And it's, it, like, it's because... Um, and you get this a little bit in... Uh, in um Oh uh, maybe maybe you don't, maybe it was in stuff that I was reading. But it's uh, it's this idea of uh controlling the PR of the war. Yeah. Not actually um delivering news to people who are yeah, going exactly. to find that. And it's this whole idea of going through
0: a process without <laughs> without actually
1: achieving anything and mm. it's like the bureaucracy that sort of just kills Kills everything. Yeah. And I'll get into this a little more when we start talking about Apocalypse Now. Yeah, sure. But I think that one of the really interesting things that comes across in both of these films in very different ways is the hypocrisy of imperialism. Um, Okay. Now, that's something that's approached a lot more in, uh, as I said, in Apocalypse Now. and It's based on um, uh, Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, which is actually an imperial, um, colonial novel. But um, when... The entire operation of Vietnam was to control this spread of communism, um, and one of the staples of communism is that kind of control of the press, propagandistic kind of PR war. Yeah, It's interesting that the US, in trying to prevent those ideals from spreading, must gu- engage with those ideals yeah. by censorship of the news, exactly. and you know they're basically doing their own propaganda system. Yeah, so exactly. yeah, I think that was one of the really interesting ways that um, Good Morning Vietnam looked at that. Kind of hypocrisy of the American yeah. side of things.
0: Well, I, I think it's it's definitely a um, parallel you can draw between both films, as I was saying. This idea of like the complete desensitization and dehumanization mm. of the Vietnamese and the American soldiers. Yeah, that's heavy in both, in both yeah. films. The, yeah. the idea that like they're just you know they're following this military process, they're following this political ideology without any regard for like. Well, no, but the dude wants to fucking hear the Rolling Stones. I'm like, well, no, everyone was at that bombing. Of course, we can talk about yeah. that. there was a bombing right yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I thought also that the choice to cast Robin Williams... I'm not sure... You know how sometimes you read, like, oh, this actor was tipped to play this role and whatever, but then they dropped out, and so they had to get... Like, that actually happened a fair bit in uh, Apocalypse Now with Mark Sheen's character. He was, like, the fourth or third choice. (laughs) I know that he definitely wasn't
0: the first choice. I remember him being called in... I yeah, 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 yeah. I, I read somewhere that he was called in like after they started shooting. Yeah, like, and
1: I, I think, you know, that was possibly a, an inadvertent, fantastic thing that happened to the film because I really liked him. But I suppose what you're saying is with
0: the Robin Williams thing. I'm not
1: sure if that was the case. They might have sort of immediately gone in with this. But I think he was brilliant. Oh, because, so good. He was like, so good that I can't imagine them having been able to write down any of the
0: shit that he said yeah or have cast anyone else
1: and uh, you know I was thinking like who else do I know that can kind of have that sort of just like you just put them down in front of a microphone and they they it's just like he's starting an engine where it just will <laughs> idle you know <laughs> who else do we know that could material? just be sat in front of a microphone and talk forever <laughs> with absolutely no, with substance. no <laughs> scripting substance <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, what we're saying is that we're the Robin guards. Williams of our generation. Oh yeah. Uh. Um, no, I. You know, I was thinking of like Jim Carrey um, or it, some other. I was reminding the same thing. That, it would yeah. not having Robin
0: Williams in this film to me would be like not having Jim Carrey as Ace Ventura or not having Jim Carrey yeah. as the Mask. You'd yeah. be like, well,
1: fuck, you can't. Like, it's, yeah, it's just yeah. so. But I think what's so brilliant about Robin Williams' character, this comes across in a lot of his roles, but I think it's particularly evident in this one, is that he's. I was talking to you about this before. He's so funny. But you can see that he's also pained, deeply pained. Yeah, I, think um, I mentioned to you
0: off-air, the first time I watched this, I was <laughs> I was like, really drunk. <laughs> and I, I watched it, it. was just, throughout the, the funniest scenes of the whole film, I was just <laughs> loudly sobbing, like, He's so funny! <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> it was pretty concerning. I uh, can't imagine how devastated you were after that <laughs> when you found out he died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, no, but yeah, he's he's so... Such a wonderful guy yeah. and so talented. And yeah. so it really
1: did bum me out to watch the film and be like, oh, fuck, man. Yeah. Oh. But I, I think his on-screen presence is just, it just really, really reflected that tone of, I'm I'm here, what I'm doing is important, I have to do this job. But it's, it, there's this sense of hopelessness. You know, like yeah. at one point, he uh, Forrest Whitaker pulls him up in a Jeep that's next to... Like 20 trucks full of soldiers, and he kind of you know, they 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 sort of verbally slow clap him into doing a routine. Yeah. Um, but the what happens is he he does this bit, and you can see he's sort of really trying, really trying for these guys, yeah. and then they all drive away and he's waving. But you can see on his face that there's just this idea because he knows where they're going, and yeah. he even says a few times, like, take You guys look like you're not sure what's going to happen, and yeah. just you know, take care of yourselves, but he knows that they have no ability to do that and it's so yeah it's he he, it just what i would say is it it like verges onto that knowledge of just the scale of the loss of life that's going to happen to these people while he's trying to be a funny man you know and and i think robert Williams really did a great job embodying that emotion in the way that he played his character and in the way that you you see these emotions play across his face and it's very deep and complex oh yeah i don't i don't know
0: whether we're I'm projecting on this. I suppose he's won a fucking Oscar for acting, but like, yeah, yeah I you, think you, an you really see like this. He does this warm smile, but somehow it seems like, yeah, pained and hollow.
1: And... It's similar to Goodwill Hunting, where you can see yeah. like, he's being, a, you know, sometimes he's being a sarcastic dick, but um, there's layers of emotion to his characters. And I mm. think that, yeah, I think that was just a really, really, really cool idea.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I kind of feel like this film. I've watched it a couple times now, and every time I watch it, I forget how much heart it has. As you go in, it feels just mm. like a light-hearted comedy about the war, and you're like, "Oh, okay, well, you know, maybe this." <laughs> you is a- know, one of those. <laughs> well, you know, you know what I mean. You're, you're kind of like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah. this isn't really a war film. Like, it's just, it's just a comedy. Why are we watching this?" And the the further it goes in, the more. Emotional and heartfelt, and sort of more strong. The commentary on the war gets.
1: I'd seen that that scene where he pulls up and does the routine in front of the soldiers. So yeah. I think I kind of, I think that kind of coloured the rest of the film for me, knowing right. that it was going to encourage gonna yeah, some of okay. that kind of like more painful stuff. But yeah.
0: And something that's interesting about this film and Good Morning Vietnam is they both have a very strong use of pop music. So yeah, I mean, a, the yeah. fact that one of the Apocalypse Now is almost set in the seventies and. Uh, Good morning Vietnam. Seven, like sixty-five, means you get this huge difference in the music they're playing. Mm. Robin Williams on the radio is playing a lot of like, kind of soul music, like James Brown and Martha and the Vandellas. Yeah, and he's playing a lot of like sixties pop, like I think it might be the Archies type stuff. Not the point. Oh, Lots of about 60, me, Yeah, I suppose so. Lots of sixties pop type stuff yeah. that's being played on the radio. And it it's, it really sets a tone of like the nostalgia they're trying to invoke yeah. for us as an audience, but also for the the soldiers that are in Vietnam and are being forced to be there. And then as the film goes on, I think it's it's a really great set piece for the movie. You've got that mm. scene sort of three quarters of the way through with the after he meets the soldiers, and it really puts an emotional Im- impression on him about they recognize him like, oh my god, that's Adrian, we love you, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. He goes back on the radio and plays What a Wonderful World. And they let that whole song play that out whole song, yeah. over more document, over all just documentary kind of shots of street life in Vietnam. Yeah. And then like napalm exploding in forests and yeah. shit. I think that sixties sort of happy pop type stuff is like an immediate and direct juxtaposition to all like these really
1: intense scenes that they're showing you. Yeah. And it's interesting that at the start of Apocalypse Now, a similar a very similar thing happens where What's the song that plays? It's The Doors. This is... The, the Doors, end. The End. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It plays while we get a, like a, a shot manic- with no diegetic sound of yeah. napalm exploding on a tree line. Yeah. Um, so it, it almost does, you know, that same thing. There's a lot of
0: very similar shots, which makes me yeah. think that maybe they... I mean, I know
1: that Apocalypse Now is filmed in the Philippines. Yeah. Also eight years earlier, so it's yeah. possible that it influenced good morning vietnam that's a good point actually because there's
0: a lot of shots that look exactly like apocalypse now shots um like all the helicopters going over the trees with yeah maybe that's just a um there's also a lot of of very
1: distinctive iconography exactly like they have a lot of the same kind kind of
0: military equipment that you all see and the same kind of those boats yeah Yeah. (laughs) i suppose because it was such a a big part of the war and i suppose when these films had come out there was still a very strong memory in these in the audience's minds yeah it's a a great deal of importance that was probably placed on getting it as faithfully recreated as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose in the yeah. same place, if you watch any movie set in Iraq these days, they're probably going to look pretty similar. Like that whole Middle East kind of area. Like that whole any thoughts <laughs> about that Middle East conflict with the US. You get like you know, like like American Sniper and uh, the Hurt Locker or whatever. Yeah. They all kind of have this similar kind of look to them because everyone knows what to expect when they go and see them.
1: Yeah, I mean, like those. I get. I, I take your point. I totally yeah. agree. But also the the two particularly bad films to compare because American Sniper was like. Copped a lot of shit for being like (laughs) hugely Americanly propagandistic, and I think it kind of like no, it just it just rinsed the Middle East with this one tone, whereas I think Hurt Locker was very carefully kind of like specifically yeah, um, well directed. Yeah, Um, Yeah, so one thing that and this links in pretty well with um with the choice of music. um, There's the two tales that obviously tell. Different versions of, of one story of colonization and imperialism, modern modern uh, imperial processes, and uh, in in Good Morning Vietnam, this you know it's it's Williams' humor, I think, that that is the main like lens through which we view that cultural imperialism. Yeah. Um, and uh, one thing that I, I did think was interesting is that Williams wants to convey. So when he's taking the English class, he kind of like throws metaphorically throws away the textbook and he teaches him like New York street lingo. And I think, "Fuck you! What you talking about?" Kind of yeah, like piss on that or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you Um, get all these
0: like all these Vietnamese locals in the um in the class. China repeat, like, "What you talking
1: about?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm walking here, kind of (laughs) shit. Um, and so Williams wants to convey a really authentic American culture rather than that kind of like artificial, um textbook kind of culture that they might have wanted to bring in yeah. and i think that was a mirrored he, he's referred to at one point in the film as the the new voice of saigon which yeah. i think is interesting because obviously he's an american voice yeah right and i think it's mirrored in the way that he wants to play progressive music it, um, when it, he first gets yeah, in well,
0: it really shows
1: how you've got the army trying to
0: cultivate one representation of yeah, america exactly. and one sort of ideal almost depiction of reality yeah and you have Robin Williams trying to represent a different reality and a yeah. different way of representing the same culture. And the way that it clashes is almost a proxy
1: kind of commentary for the political kind of commentary about the Vietnam War. Yeah. but I And I think it's interesting because neither of these two films really approach the Vietnamese perspective. They clearly don't have a well-informed view, or, or, or at least they're, they're not... They're not trying to represent the perspective of the Vietnamese. Yeah,
0: well, without <laughs> without knowing very much about it, I think that uh, Good Morning Vietnam probably does a bit of a better job of representing the Vietnamese perspective, if only because you don't see any of that in Apocalypse Now. Yeah. Apocalypse yeah. Now is like 100% focused on the um, the American side, and you don't really see very much of it. Like, you have the character of Tuan who is the little Vietnamese boy that Robin Williams befriends. befriends. Yeah. And um, this might be a spoiler. So I think if at this point you haven't seen it, probably go see it. This is going to be a spoiler. This for is a big, big yeah. one. Um, Tuan ends up being a accomplice for the Viet Cong. Yeah. And he sets up a terrorist bombing in the sort of GI bar that almost kills Robin and kills a whole bunch of his mates. Yeah. Um, and it, it it ends up being sort of the emotional arc of the film towards the end where... Um, Tuan sort of has this tearful breakdown at Robin and says, it doesn't matter who's the enemy, who's the friend, all, you're all the enemy. Like, you yep. come into our home and you destroy this shit. And- yeah, and he
1: lists the people that have been killed by American conflict. Yeah, yeah
0: exactly. Um, and so I think in terms of, like, the, the impact that American imperialism is having on...
1: It's an imperial. I used the
0: word, yeah! Yeah. (laughs) The impact that the American imperialism is having on Vietnamese society is referenced in a pretty strong and emotional way in Good Morning Vietnam. That's one of the main motivations for this character. And I think it's a shame that you don't really get much of that in Apocalypse Now. But I think in the same way as Good Morning Vietnam is really more the emotional story of Robin and this radio station thing. I think that Apocalypse Now is... Sure, it's a war movie, but it's really a focus on these few characters and their experience of the war more than it is a focus and a depiction of an entire culture.
1: Yeah, I think that's very intentional on the part of um, Apocalypse Now. Actually, I think it's not necessarily a failing of the film. That is more of a reflection of the underlying base on Conrad's Heart of Darkness, because um, that does exactly the same thing where it follows this voyage up the Congo River in Africa, and uh, both of those texts approach the natives in the land that they're in very similarly. Both of which texts, sorry? Both... Heart of Darkness right. the, the 1899 novella mm. um, right so if, if we're approaching talking about these films and you're going to say and Apocalypse Now and Apocalypse do you want now. to
0: talk a bit about a Heart bit of, of Darkness review? then so it's a it's you said it's yep. a novel that came out in 1899 yeah so this is a um, and it's what
1: Apocalypse Now is based on yes so uh, Heart of Darkness is yeah a novella by Joseph Conrad uh, released in 1899 um, it is an absolute staple of that colonialist imperialist literature so he, he was an English author English Polish yeah Right. I studied this in uni when I was studying imperialist literature this is sure. Big, big, famous text. Um, and then Apocalypse Now was like a modern reimagining of this text. And yeah. So you said Heart of Darkness is set in Africa. Yeah, and then it was adapted by uh, John Frederick Milius, who was an American screenwriter-director that did some big shit at the time. Yeah. And he ended up working very closely with Francis Ford Coppola. He came up with the majority of the screenplay, and Coppola kind of helped develop that into what it became, really, which was this Apocalypse Now. But the Vietnam setting was certainly... sure. Um, up to John John Millis's screenplay. And yeah.
0: I, I imagine it's then suitable because Heart of Darkness focuses on English colonization of the Congo yes, exactly, and yeah. there. And, and Kurtz then,
1: is an ivory runner. Right. And so, yeah.
0: the, so the plot of Heart of Darkness, correct me if I'm wrong, is that this main character, Willard, is going through the Congo on a search for this ivory
1: trader, Kurtz. Yeah, he's been sent by... Um, it's gone back into the annals <laughs> of, of when I studied the book... But there's a, like an outpost that tasks Willard with finding and tracking tracking this, him down, this down. To put it in 10 words or less, Kurtz has gone rogue right. in, a, in a similar way.
0: And so that's exactly what's happened in Apocalypse Now. Yep. Apocalypse Now came out in 1979. It's yep. a modern retelling of this book that's an iconic part of English imperialist literature.
1: Yeah, I would say it's based on it, but it, it deviates other than in sort of in the very surface-level ways that we've just described it, yeah. there's a lot of new but But thema- so thematically, thematically it's very similar. Very similar. Yeah, okay. yeah. And so it tells the story
0: of this, <laughs> this bloke, Willard, don't remember his first name, sorry, who is a member of the American military who is in Vietnam and is called in to do this secret mission, the idea being that there is this soldier who has gone insane Walter Kurtz was this brilliant military officer who's now gone oh mad. sorry just to, to, yeah. a
1: correction um the main character of Heart of Darkness is called Marlow okay right so they've changed the character so right. so, but Martin yep.
0: Sheen sorry so, but Martin Sheen in this movie plays Willard, plays Willard. yep the um, main character. and he, he he's called into this secret mission where he has to travel down the river through Vietnam and into sort of into the, the outskirts of Cambodia yep. to track down and kill Walter Kurtz, who is a military, a brilliant military officer who's now sort of gone mad and has surrounded himself with sort of cult-like followers in some camp yep. somewhere. The idea being that the military don't want this this officer who's insane out there wreaking havoc and sort of. Bringing on his own form of justice onto yeah, the locals and yeah. sending people out to be and killed.
1: And the, the subtext of um, of that character arc is the same mm. in both novels, where actually the reason why the Imperial forces want that character to be, Kurtz, to be tracked down and, and uh, killed is because he's become ingrained in the local culture yeah. and he's lost track of that imperialist not lost track of. He's, he's discarded that imperialist routing. Which so goes
0: back to the importance of what we were talking about before, about the military's sort of impression on their Im- impressioning on their troops and this propaganda machine. Yeah, exactly. About yeah. like convincing the troops that they're there for the right reasons yeah. and that kind of thing. And
1: it's the same fear as America had of North Vietnam that they would infect the the free world. Yeah. Um. You know. So yeah, the phrase that's thrown about in Heart of Darkness is that he's gone native, which is uh, similar to Kurtz's character in this one, although it's done with a slightly different skin. <laughs> yeah, and, so, and, so, and this film is quite long. So I
0: watched the original theatrical version, which is still like two and a half hours. Yeah. And I think it's actually quite tight, story-wise. So I think there's a lot of films where, I mean, I like movies, but I feel there's a lot of dramatic, kind of artsy, kind of well-regarded films from back in the day that I can't really be fucked to watch. Because you almost watch it, and are like, well, what's really happening? But I think this film, Apocalypse Now, has a perfect balance of that right arty kind of filmmaking that people love yeah. with... A very specific story where never at any point in the film you you like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Why is this scene in the yep. film? The idea is that Martin Sheen's on this boat crewed by sort of four or five other American soldiers and they're escorting him on this boat down the river to the temple where Marlon Brando's character, this Walter Kurtz that's gone this insane, Kurtz, yep. is living. And he has yep. to go kill him. And that's the whole story. Yep. In the theatrical version, you watch the extended version, which has about 45 minutes of extra material. Yeah, so the
1: the, the version that I watched was released in 2001. Yeah, um, and it's and like a director's Apocalypse cut kind of Apocalypse Now Redux, which adds 49 minutes to the film, yeah. making it a whopping 3 hour, <laughs> 22 minute epic.
0: Right. The idea behind the film essentially is that they, they have to go on this river cruise, and there's on the in the theatrical version there's sort of three main stops that they make yep. throughout the film, and each of those stops is kind of like almost like a slice of life kind of look at life in the Vietnam War for the yeah, soldiers, yeah, yeah. and it really gives you a different commentary on a different aspect of what yeah. it was like there. I think we keep saying what it was like because these films really do feel this film specifically feels really real and really this connects film, you. It was
1: such a fucking experience. Like, yeah. it was so immersive. I, yeah, I, I really felt... Um, strongly connected to what was going on on screen. Exactly. And so th-
0: the first stop, for example, is they stop and meet up with this helicopter division of the US Army, who then have to airlift them onto the next section of the boat. And then there's another stop where they have to go and get resupplies and they end up watching this Playboy Bunny sort of glamour show. Yeah. And then the third stop, when they're almost at their destination, is at this sort of military outpost where everything's gone fucking insane. Yeah. And you get a different experience every time on each little stop there. And then he's there
1: and you get to watch the end of the film. So yeah. I think it's actually quite tight, which I was really yeah. impressed by. Definitely. And something else that's interesting about the structure of this film, so the, yeah, the sure. um, redux adds another two stops on the river, basically. It does a lot of other shit as well. Yeah. Um, they they change around uh, the order of... Whatever scene A few scenes. Sense, and, um, yeah. yeah, but the vast majority of the difference comes from an occasion where Martin Sheen and his crew come across a bunch of French colonists who own a rubber plantation. Right. And he ends up having dinner with them. And what that scene functions to do is give the perspective of the French in the entire thing because yeah, okay. I think
0: they were the they were one of the forces that really started the conflict
1: yes, in the first exactly, place yeah. yeah um but the French have been in Vietnam for I think since the turn of the century like they've been okay, there right. for a really long time you see like um, lots of
0: French in, in Good Morning Vietnam specifically you see lots of like <laughs> very European
1: looking architecture
0: yeah that's the French influence that's
1: why you have things like Vietnamese bakeries because they were French right yeah effects okay. on the French colonisation yeah, okay, so cool. that was a long extending thing that wasn't just from the start of the war they were just kind of already there right if you get what I mean um um, and yeah, that 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 French rubber plantation is one of the vastly more colonial feeling things because they've still got a lot of that like turn of the century um kind of imperial uh clothing and yeah, you know, okay, all sure. of the architecture in the house. So what it does is give that it, it gives an extra imperialist perspective. Yeah. Um, that's almost like old blood imperialism. Yeah. You know? and, um, I, th-
0: and I think that really shows that each each, it's like almost like a modular vignette. film. Yeah, exactly. Each sort of little vignette, each stop on the river gives you a different part of this overall commentary on the yeah. Vietnam War. Um, as a bit of an intro, I had a couple of little interesting facts about this film because mm. I didn't really know much about it. So it's Francis Ford Coppola one yep. of his big masterpieces. He's the same guy that did the Godfather trilogy and all that. So yeah. he's you know, one of the most iconic directors of modern I think he did one or two. Cinema. I'm not sure if he did three. Okay. Okay. It like, doesn't matter. He's definitely done the first yes. few Godfather films. It was filmed, it's set in the late 60s to early 70s, as we said. So you get a difference in the music that they show. So there's a lot of music by the doors, yeah, a lot of, it... of Rolling Stones, a lot of Credence Clearwater Revival kind yeah. of 70s bluesy stuff that has then, by that point, become a lot more political
1: material. And was written about the Vietnam War right. so, and in response to it. Especially
0: Creedence Clearwater Revival are yeah. a hugely iconic band who are very strongly associated with the Vietnam War. Fortunate yeah, and-
1: Son specifically is their big hit. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting that in this case you get this music... If you don't know what song we're talking about, go and listen to Fortunate Son by Creedence Clearwater Revival because yeah. you'll know it. Yeah, exactly. And um, it, Yeah, it's their big hit. Yeah. And it's interesting to contrast
0: the music in... Apocalypse Now versus the music in Good Morning Vietnam, because they both play a big, huge, strong part. Yeah. And there's both, they're both there sort of partially for the enjoyment and nostalgia factor for the soldiers, diegetically. But also you see the influence that the Vietnam War has had on American culture yeah. through the way in which it's represented in the music, which is cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you should say yeah. diegetically or not because I feel like in Good Morning Vietnam, because it's about this process of radio broadcasting and delivering culture yeah. across distance to people, Yeah, um, it is mostly diegetic sound.
0: What we mean by that though is diegetic sound is where in the film you see the source of the sound somewhere. So yeah. like if someone's physically listening to the radio... And that's why you hear the sound coming through. Maybe people don't know this term. I don't know. Maybe they do. But then non-diegetic music is like if it's a soundtrack.
1: Yeah, so it's not related. And so the
0: characters in the film wouldn't be
1: able to hear yeah, it. Yeah, nothing in yeah. the storyline is creating the sound, yeah. So I suppose yeah. what
0: we're saying is, in this case, you hear a lot of the time, there's like soldiers dancing with the music that they listen to on the radio, yeah. and that's why yeah. we can hear it.
1: But contrastingly, in Apocalypse Now, I think most of the sounds of that era that we get, like Creedence Clear Revival, like The Stones, whatever... Is non diegetic It's actually yeah, just forming it's like the a backing track for the audience that's watching the film. Like you were saying, there's
0: this bombing scene with the napalm in the forest, and they play the doors. The over doors, it, yeah, and it's exactly. A bit of a contrast. But
1: there's one key moment I think where we do have really hardcore diegetic sound, which is yeah. when they play "Flight of the Valkyries" when they're doing that initial right, um, which is a really in intense Hughes. scene. And I, I think one of the things that really, I mean, obviously "Flight of the Valkyries" is pretty massive, but this mm. was I, I know that it gained a, a lot of like fame from being in this film it's yeah. such an iconic scene they play it it's an example of psychological warfare so they play it to scare the fuck out of the through the, the helicopter before, loudspeakers as they're flying low to doing a raid yeah, yeah exactly and it's fantastic but I think mm. that might be the only time yeah or one of the few times in Apocalypse Now where it is affecting the soldiers, yeah. Rather well, so, than so
0: there's there's a couple. Yeah, you're right. There's a yeah. couple scenes where like to break up the intense emotional psychological conflict that you watch on the on screen because a lot of it is pretty intense. Yeah. Um, you get like the soldiers turning on the radio and listening to the Stones or something. They're dancing around on the boat. So oh, they're, okay. like the character right. clean. Oh no, you're totally there right. There is a yeah, okay. where there he's, are a few he's times. sort of dancing around and doing it. Mick Jaggery kind of yeah, moves so, right. I think a Stones
1: song yeah. on the boat. But it's right. it's more scarce. I think, yeah, and uh, and it's used definitely more of a more as like a weapon or a symbolism mm. kind of thing, rather than in Good Morning Vietnam, where it's about the, yeah. the entire storyline. Well,
0: for example, the intro of this of Apocalypse Now is fantastic. It ha- it's like a scene of Martin Sheen's character in a hotel room. Mm. and there's a whole narration that goes the whole way through it's kind of him recalling what's happening so he's sort of saying oh I didn't even know what was going to happen back then and it's Martin Sheen lots of close-ups on his face as The Doors plays um, this is the end yeah. and you get those flashbacks that are running through his mind of napalm bombs going off and choppers and really loud helicopter mm. music as The Doors goes and he sort of starts to have this emotional mental manic breakdown and, and links, as the like music the sound of the yeah. choppers
1: to the ceiling fan like yeah. you hear a Huey exactly. but he's looking at the ceiling fan and, and so you yeah.
0: get this huge piece PTSD impression yeah. from the film and you have no idea whether what we're seeing is an experience he has or whether it's some
1: he's had in the past or yeah. whether it's some kind of manic hallucination. And it actually starts, the the very first shot of the film is of a, a tree line that gets napalm-bombed. Yeah. So we actually start not on... Martin Sheen's character, yeah. which further, I feel further confuses that distorting line between yeah. is this his his internal state or, yeah. or what? And
0: it was either Martin Sheen or Francis Ford Coppola that said in an interview, a whole part of this film is this idea of the mixture of fantasy and reality. It's Willard as a character struggling to ser- separate fantasy and reality yeah. because of this like damage he's had to his psyche and the, the horrific shit he's had to go through in war. And so the whole way through the film... And in that scene specifically, things get crazier and crazier and crazier, yeah. and the soldiers become more and more deranged, and you have no idea whether what you're watching is really what's happening, or whether it's some kind of hallucination. Yeah, so um,
1: I can speak a little bit to that, um, because it's it's actually, I, I, I think that's drawing a lot from Heart of Darkness, right? because there's this theme that runs through Heart yeah. of Darkness, um, which is the theme of insanity, and that's paired... Physically, with the process of descending further and further into the native land, which you get um, in the in this film, in the Vietnam version of the, the story as well, exactly. through the boat ride. As the boat yeah, ride goes on, you descend further and further into the Each stop madness. along the river is more mad, yeah. and is there's less structure and less control, and people are more deranged, and yeah. things happen that are more insane. And that happens in Heart of Darkness as right, well. Okay. And one other interesting parallel in Heart of Darkness, there's this strong symbol of fog. Right. Um which is used not just to obscure but also to kind of give you this um physical tie to the mental distortions that people are having to fight against as they get deeper and deeper into this thing. And in Apocalypse Now, right, that's done with smoke grenades. And you you get you get fog and mist as they go further into the forest. Yeah, well. but, but it's yeah. it's not natural. It's not it's not I don't think it's actually fog. I think that most of the time in this film it's uh, colored smoke. Yeah, okay. that is used. So it's like purples and um, oh, I th- yeah, I know exactly. Like what you mean. Yeah, blues right. yeah. or like um, kind of like a thick green, yellow smoke. Yeah, and um, then
0: that's something where you don't really know whether that's like part of the hallucination we're seeing mm-hmm. as part of the point of view of the soldiers, or whether it's the idea that it's this intense part of the warfare.
1: Yeah. So I, what I found really intriguing about um, the comparison between that smoke in um, Apocalypse Now and the fog in Heart of Darkness is that it, the fog is an aspect of the land. Um, yeah. It's naturally generated, and I think by proxy, it's an element of the native environment. Is that the intense part that the character has to struggle through in the book, the the harsh element of the land? In, in the book, it's thematically almost like a symptom or a side effect of departing from your colonial imperial ideals and traveling into that native environment. Right. But what's really interesting about Apocalypse Now and using that use of smoke is that this smoke is from smoke grenades. It's artificial, it's it's generated or
0: flares. It's a military Yeah, yeah but it's, it's generated by
1: tech that's brought by the Americans. Yeah. And so as they descend and we get this repeated kind of like smokiness that that builds and increases and starts to affect the characters more yeah. as they kind of lose their sanity for lack of a better Kind of term oh, that's exactly what it is yeah yeah i think so i i felt like apocalypse now was very clearly attributing the responsibility for that madness back onto the american colonizers yeah. rather than having it be this element of the land that they're invading if you get what i mean
0: yeah no, absolutely there's a whole scene with the fog and i was gonna say i don't necessarily think this is a spoiler because i think that a lot of it, even though I said it's a very tight film, there's a very clear be story. It hard to
1: spoil this movie.
0: It's sort of really about the emotional journey of these soldiers. And so and all the individual vignettes are almost removed from each other. So all I was going to say yeah. is there's a whole scene where there is fog throughout the whole river right towards the end there. And they're traveling down. And it's the bit with the arrows and the spears.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: And the fog really does get really thick. And they're traveling through. <laughs> very and fun they, for those who haven't seen it yet. And they think they're being attacked by arrows and they go nuts and they start shooting yeah. into the into the fog and into the distance they can't even see and then they realize that it's toys and it's just kids firing sticks but there's yeah. hundreds of them so yeah. you have no idea if it's actually happening yeah, or not
1: yeah and it's it's sort of almost ridiculous that that would be able to it's like rain yeah. like literally like rain and
0: then one of the soldiers does get killed by, by a, a spear an actual
1: yeah. spear which further muddies and you never see where it comes from no, or it, exactly yeah, who and, kills him
0: and it, so it further muddies the definition of reality and fantasy, yeah, and you yeah. don't really know what's going on. Um, and that that death, actually, while we're talking about that fog, I think it's interesting. That's it's it's the result of this
1: bizarre misunderstanding and interaction with the locals and clean yeah. Lawrence Fishburne's character. Yeah, Lawrence Fishburne. So Morpheus from The Matrix is in, in this, this, and I think he's like. Fucking 14. I looked at right. something. So He's in the, in the film,
0: he says, Oh, I'm 17. Yeah. He lied. Lawrence Fishburne lied about his age to get the part. He was actually 14. Yeah, so he was
1: genuinely 14.
0: And this film playing a 17 for so year old. That by the time they finished filming, he was 17. Yeah, fuck. We filmed for a long fucking time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it really is like so. There's a couple deaths of the main characters you see as it goes on that are because of these bizarre, insane circumstances and misunderstandings they have. As they also, yeah, sort of- also
1: like spoiler alert, but people die in Vietnam. Yeah. So, you <laughs> know.
0: But so it's interesting that when when that when Clean dies, it's sort of the only death in the whole film that is made as like this big deal. So Chief has a big breakdown when Lawrence Fishburne's character yeah, dies. Yeah, Chief
1: the. Um- driver of the boat
0: yeah um he has this huge emotional breakdown. and yeah. it's sort of there's all these deaths we've seen throughout the film but for some reason they focus on that yeah as like the breaking point for these soldiers yeah that i wondered been if it was death for ages and it might chief- have been sorry sorry yeah oh because because i think what you were gonna say is that chief is sort of an african-american
1: yeah so chief is black as is lawrence Fishman's character and i thought that that was kind of like a young naive part of him dying and he yeah. s- was lamenting the loss of that kind of and part it- of him could always be like a father-son type relationship as well or even, that, yeah, though, yeah, even yeah. though they weren't but just I mean this this film in Heart of Darkness is is um, really about like loss of self loss of identity loss of culture so I yeah. guess that's why I'm more inclined to read it as like a slice of himself Yeah. Um, but you're right exactly. it could definitely be like a father-son dynamic too
0: yeah, also well, I thought it'd be interesting to talk briefly about this, the main stops that go on the river. Yeah, sure. Because you've mentioned your French colonization one and the at, at the rubber plantation plant, yeah. and the way that stop recounts that kind of experience. Um, so the, the first I've mentioned before is with the, the lieutenant or sergeant Kilgore's helicopter division. Mm. And that's when you get the scene with the, the ride of the Valkyries and the bombing. And I think the importance of that scene is that it really shows off like the mindless violence. And again, from with the other film, the complete desensitization yeah. to the enemy to the experience of his fellow soldiers and everything like that. So, like, there's this insane napalm bombing happening around and this guy, Kilgore, gets excited because one of the soldiers on Martin...
1: Martin Sheen's troop is a surfer yeah as he's talking about surfing, like go out on the river and surf! He's also a surfer oh, c- come on yeah. come on out and surf and, and it's like, all the, these there's, like there's oh, there's mortars exploding in the background of the scene as they yeah. you know as hes he's talking about how good the waves are so one thing that happens in the redux version that I believe didn't happen in the theatrical version yeah. is that as they're leaving Kilgore's kind of raid team. after that entire their thing, boat up to the next section of the river yeah, yeah so when they're getting onto the boat Martin Sheen's character, comes back and steals Kilgore's surfboard <laughs> which is it, taken unbelievably seriously by Kilgore cuz he ends up following them part of the way up the river in with this helicop- in a helicopter oh, man. Um, With a recording of his voice playing, saying, like, I'm not going to hurt you, just give me back the surfboard. I'm not going to hurt you, just give me back the surfboard. And, yeah, they, like, have to hide under foliage to stop being seen by this guy. But it was a really interesting thing for me that Redux included almost the only funny bit in the entire film. Because it's quite... It's it's slapstick comedy when he steals the surfboard. Like, he actually bats another guy away big, by spinning surfboard the surfboard there. around and then jumps on and they're all laughing. <laughs> right. And maybe, maybe um, that was just cut because they don't have a surfboard on the boat for the rest of the fucking film. Well yeah, I I think I don't know. It it sort of it was very natural and jovial and it's yeah. like the the only time you ever see Martin Sheen do anything but just look being a bit human. Yeah, and yeah. it was and he laughs. Like the whole crew is kind of laughing about it. Yeah. Um and yeah, so I, I it was interesting that like the only and it was also one of those very like when I think of Vietnam, I think of that kind of like there's a definitely an element of that like boyish kind of prankishness nature that you hear about. I thought it was a very realistic portrayal of what would have been like something a funny thing to do just to lighten the mood back yeah. then. And, um, I th- and kind then I think of hijinks, it, yeah. but it's it's uh, worlds apart from Williams' humor in yeah. um, Good Morning Vietnam, which is used as that kind of like cultural sort of in- invasion. Yeah,
0: right. It's the wordiness and the stereotypes and all the cultural comedy that comes out of that.
1: It's so much less sparing and fleeting than it was in in Apocalypse Now.
0: Well, one of the most impressive and really the most sort of meaningful kind of scenes in the whole film is the second stop, which is the scene where they stop at a resupply base to get fuel and supplies and stuff. And it turns out there is a show where these playboy bunnies are coming in. And they get, they get given tickets to see the show. And yeah. It's almost like this sort of dream kind of vision thing where these three gorgeous women in ridiculous outfits come out of the helicopter and dance around. Almost out of nowhere. Yeah, and dance around to Credence Clearwater Revival and (laughs) all the soldiers are cheering and they rush the stage. And that is another... So that's the second stop and it really sort of shows like the idea of moral corruption and the sexual depravity. And that's one of the first scenes where things sort of start to almost get cartoonishly surreal. And where you sort of go, oh, this... Where there's this huge stage on the river in the middle of Vietnam, in the middle of junk, what's going on? Yeah, and you sort of become a bit unsettled almost. Yeah, as it's happening.
1: Yeah, and that's another shared theme between Apocalypse Now and Heart of Darkness, um, where women in both are viewed as like this. Um, they're very commodified yeah. and very symbolized. And in fact, uh, it doesn't really do this in Apocalypse Now, but in Heart of Darkness, um, Kurtz has an African mistress. And it's pretty strongly implied that one of the reasons why he needs to be killed and one of the things that's occurred as a result of him going native is that he's decided to kind of mate with one of the natives. Imagine that. Yeah, um, 1899 (laughs) is a hell of a time. And uh, in uh, the Redux version, another stop that they add on the river, which I don't think was in the theatrical version, is that uh, they end up finding the helicopter... They end up stopping where the helicopter with those three playgirls landed, um, and they end up swapping two barrels of fuel so that the team can have sex with them. Oh, wow. No, that's not... Yeah, no. It. Yeah, and okay. it's 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 another step of that madness kind of And that would really involved.
0: have lended itself towards this sort of moral corruption... And commodification of-, of women, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And an element to that part of the yeah, film. Yeah, it's
1: really fucked up. Like, one of them, the women are actually... While they're, like, being undressed by these guys, they're kind of espousing these really philosophical, dialectic m- monologues of, like, what their experience, personal experiences are like, and how they feel like well, they're being abused. Even and- in the
0: scene, the dancing scene in the part of the film that I saw, yeah, um, they do seem like some of the most human... Kind of characters in the they film. show fear and
1: yeah, like when yeah. they get raided, they have to run and. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they
0: sort of talk to each other like normal people rather yeah, than the yeah, insanity yeah. that you see in the rest yeah, of the film. Definitely. And without, I wanted to harp on about the plot too much. Mm. The third main stop in the theatrical version is the Bolong Bridge scene, which is this large bridge that's been destroyed by some sort of bombs. Yeah. And it's the border crossing between Vietnam and Cambodia, and Cambodia yep. where Marlon Brando's character and is characterized. And it's
1: right the here. penultimate, in both, it's the penultimate scene before they reach Kurtz's yeah. establishment. And they get off the boat on that scene just because
0: they want to know what the fuck is going on. Yeah. And there's this conflict that appears to be happening with American soldiers running all over the place. And it's almost like a fever dream where you don't know what's going on. And it's, Martin Sheen's character- so thick. Is yeah. running around me like who's the commanding officer? Here? Who's the commanding officer here? And they're like, aren't you? And he's like, no. And and that's like the most insane. And there's
1: characters kind of that are clearly, yeah, have clearly lost Gone contact insane. with the People reality. People running around and
0: screaming. Yeah, and, yeah. And so it's, that is one of the most. Conf- it's not necessarily confronting, but it's one of the most really the psychological, largest psychological depictions of madness and chaos in the film. Yeah, definitely. As it's towards the end of their journey, and yeah. things have gotten more insane as they go. Yeah. Um, and then I think by the point it gets to the end and he confronts Marlon Brando's character, I, I think that it sort of reaches a natural conclusion. Because the whole way through this voyage, Willard has had this big file on Marlon Brando's character
1: Kurtz, yeah, like a dossier. And he's been yeah. sort of
0: pouring over it.
1: Sheen's and get, just as a as a quick interjection. Yeah. Sheen's narrations while he's doing that are really good, fantastic. They're In fact, really good. those were written by a whole other uh, guy, uh, a whole uh, poet, and just the, the musings that he has while he's reading over these materials and how he talks about yeah. Kurtz is fucking great.
0: And so he, he's sort of reading through this file of what seems like a hugely distinguished military career, and he's sort of questioning how, how could such a great fall man fall off f- the edge? Fall off the edge, yeah, and sort of. Almost sort of finds himself sympathizing with Kurtz and seeing part yeah. of himself in Kurtz, and so at the start he seems so convicted about like yeah I definitely have to go kill this guy, and as it goes and every every little every little sort of ten minute sequence we get of Martin Sheen sort of reading this file and thinking about Kurtz, he sort of questions more and more strongly whether what he's doing is even the right thing and whether he, says he starts to understand exactly understand yeah. why Kurtz has gone gone insane and yeah. why. Kurtz feels the way he does about American imperialism. Yeah,
1: and that that's really where the strong criticism of the imperialism yeah. in Apocalypse Now comes across is in uh, Martin Sheen's slow response over the course of the film to what Kurtz has done. Yeah, exactly. You know? And then I, I think towards the end of the film, I, I think
0: by the time it reaches the ending, I like I said, I don't think it's interesting to discuss the ending because you sort of have to experience the whole film yeah. to have an appreciation of the emotional beats that happen in the ending there and the ending is quite slow but after you've watched the whole film I think you sort of get into the
1: pace of it if you uh, so if you I don't know I'm happy to talk about whether or not I think that the Redux version is worth watching or not. but it's also the only version on Netflix so right um, which is weird (laughs) I did not have a choice yeah however um, if you're gonna watch a two and a half hour film watch a three hour film Um, it's got like ten minutes of credit so it's actually not that much longer right okay (laughs) Maybe most people won't enjoy this, um, but I fucking loved. I this really like the theatrical. I film. think that honestly, either watch watch either, but I bloody loved this film. It yeah. was a. It, it would be. I, I was telling you before. I think it's like probably in my top ten or fifteen films that I've ever seen. I, think, it, I way, think it's a fantastic film. The definitely. way that it uses the music, the way that it constructs, um, the way that it, the pacing of the story, um, the way Martin Sheen appears on screen, um, yeah. no, it's, it's, how it's philosophical fan- it is. Oh, it's, it's just, fantastic. and it, it's it's amazingly shot. And I think it's what, one of the things, we, we sort of approached this, but we didn't really end up talking about it, is just the way that it was made. Apparently this film was fucking hell to make. Like right, yeah. Martin so, Sheen had a heart attack midway through the film being made. It was a production cycle
0: plagued by disaster and mishap yeah. the whole way through. So Martin Sheen was a pretty heavy alcoholic at the time. Yeah, yeah, In that first
1: scene where he's recording, yeah. he was so drunk that he could barely stand on his feet. Right, which might be why he's lying on the bed. But yeah, so he—he oh, he was. When he didn't mean. He breaks a mirror and like yeah. cuts his hand open. Um, he he was the one that trailblazed for Leo DiCaprio smashing his hand down on the glass in um, Django right. Unchained because yeah, that was he didn't know how close he was to the mirror and he accidentally did it and didn't know He was so drunk he didn't notice that he sliced his hand open and then he starts like fucking rubbing blood on his face. Yeah,
0: but in real life, Martin Sheen had a breakdown while they was just shooting the film they yeah. shot it in the Philippines for years uh, Francis Ford Coppola shot over 240 hours of film yeah and the it is, first which version comes out to 1.5 million feet of actual <laughs> magnetic tape fi- not reels no, no, not magnetic, you know what I mean
1: tape reel yeah. tape yeah. Reels.
0: One one and a half million feet of film it took two years to edit yep just the idea that Lawrence Fishburne was 14 and was 17 by the time he finished yeah and the
1: first edit of the film was five and a half hours yeah, which is such a—it really
0: shows it's like an editor's masterpiece. The way the film has managed to come together, and it doesn't show that they've cut out
1: that much at all. No, it doesn't feel like it had the troubles that it did.
0: There was a typhoon that destroyed half their equipment all their expensive sets halfway yeah. through shooting the film while they're in the Philippines. They borrowed all this equipment from the Philippines Army, that then had to be borrowed back by the Army to, to, actually, to actually fight, fight, a, fight a war. war. <laughs> yep. Marlon Brando showed up for his role. Totally overweight and completely unprepared for the Refusing role. Refusing to learn lines and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was being paid like a million dollars a week or something. And yeah, and all he wasted the demands. first. He
1: like he he spent four days like in his trailer talking about other shit, and yeah. no one could get him to actually come out on set and do anything. He hadn't read the book. Francis Ford Coppola was saying he was so fat that he couldn't credibly
0: find like a military uniform. Yeah, when he you would see, fit him in. So it, he's wearing this like monk robe, and when almost. you see
1: his f- whole body on screen in Apocalypse Now. That's mm. not him. That's a stunt double. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not even... He was too fat to have a full body shot because they wanted oh, him to yeah. be this thin, muscly dude. I and, didn't realise. Uh, yeah, because he's yeah. mostly hidden in darkness at the end of the film. The, the, man, the, the lighting that they use on Kurtz the whole way through this film is a fucking masterclass in it's lighting fantastic. because he's he's low-key lit and he's a, as Sheen... <laughs> as Sheen... He's, he's low-key lit. Yeah, he's fucking lit. <laughs> <laughs> we started talking about a Kendrick. Yeah, performance sorry, for a second. forgot I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> um, as Sheen's character learns more about him, the lighting that is uh, used is he becomes literally more illuminated. And there's a scene in Redux, which is the only scene in the whole of either edit where he's completely fully lit. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> word's so ruined. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I think it would
0: said less time, if we said lighted, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: front lit. Yeah. yeah, so I calculated, so the film cost 31500000 in 1978, which uh, accounting for inflation is $118 million. It reminded me of watching Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane was the result of an excellent filmmaker being given just a stupid amount of money to work with, yeah. and a budget going way over, sort of, again hellish development. Because
0: yeah, $180 million worth of budget equivalent today. 118, but yeah. 118, sorry. That's an amount of money you can easily reach to if you have hundreds of digital effects artists, yeah, yeah, exactly, like, and yeah, all these huge, big, like stars Jurassic World, and cost
1: one hundred and thirty million. Right. So it was almost that,
0: right? But this is just dudes on a river in the Philippines.
1: Well, yeah. See, I, I think that <laughs> so probably the-, the majority of because when you look at what would have needed to be Done. there yeah. in real life for some of these scenes, it's like we, right? We need six Hueys in the air. Um, they had jets in this fucking movie, like. They, they also it's like okay we need those six hues to be in the air at the same time we need 50 people on screen we You're need right. so there are some pretty 17 large explosions shots. we yeah. need six buildings to be destroyed in that one shot like there's some yeah. insane shit that happens in this film all I mean is that's, so, a, that's a fuckload of
0: money that's oh yeah like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah yeah if yeah. you sound like this budget had a 118 million dollar budget it doesn't sound like that much but that's no, a, fuck, but that's a fuckload so of money much money went into this film
1: yeah. yeah and like um yeah Coppola had to put most of his own or all of his own finances into this. So if this flopped, he was basically going to be bankrupt. And yeah, yeah, it it almost broke him. But what it reminded me of was that it had that tone of like, no one knew how good this was going to be when they were working on it. And everyone was riddled with self-doubt. And they didn't even have the end written by the time they needed to film it. Um, So they had to make it up, basically. (laughs) Um, it, It had a lot of parallels between those two between those two films. It's almost like luck that it turned out to be something so incredible because by rights, when you look at what went into it, it it should have been a mess. Yeah. I think it's it's probably hard to to listen to just descriptions of this film. I think it's definitely worth watching. I might recommend this more than any other film that we've watched so far on the podcast. Yeah. to, To just like, if you don't think that you'll enjoy this film, just give it a go.
0: Yeah, and the theatrical version is also fantastic. It's not like you're missing out sure. the director's Sure, it's just guy. harder to find, <laughs> <laughs> Oh <considering laughs> well, yeah, it's I mean, yeah. Netflix, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think definitely watch it. Um, Good Morning Vietnam, as a summary, is also fantastic. I yeah. think it was great. And yeah. I think it's one of the best Robin Williams films I've ever seen. Yeah, it's certainly... Really, I mean, it, was, uh, it was really Before fun. our time, yeah. like,
1: we, we had Flubber and Mrs. Doubtfire, <laughs> yeah. um, but so I think... He's maybe more famous for that than he is for those yeah. subsequent ones that we really got to know.
0: Yeah. And they both have great soundtracks, which is a nice little part of the film you can enjoy yeah, as definitely. well. So I think that uh, completes our discussion yeah. of these little Vietnam special films this week. Have we got any news?
1: Yeah. Yeah, we do, actually. Um, I've got a bunch of news, so I'll just rattle off some headlines. So it was Comic-Con uh, last week. So, there's a shitload of news that's coming out of that. Yeah. Lots Um, of new trailers
0: for all sorts of shit. Yeah. There's new
1: trailers for Aquaman. There's a movie called Shazam that looks like a kind of like parody, almost like kick ass (laughs) (laughs) kind of superhero kind of thing with Zach
0: Zach Levi from uh, Chuck.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, that was so fun. There's a new trailer out for the um, new Godzilla film, um, which I think looks really interesting. It's got... Uh, well, I like
0: a real B-rate cast there. Yeah. <laughs> it's got me feeling I'm, a bit unsure. I'm
1: hopeful, it. but yeah. it's uh, uh, Millie Bobby Brown, who's 11 from Stranger Things, yeah. um, is playing a core role in it, so I don't know how that'll go. <laughs> um, there's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer reboot oh, in shit, the works. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Has Just Whedon got
0: anything to do with it? Yeah, I think so. that um,
1: so be uh, So I'm not sure, but it looks like he's... Yeah, he's involved in the effort to reboot it as a, as a TV series again. Oh, so, that, that sounds like it's a Kickstarter or something. Oh, He's is probably a, executively no, producing okay, it yeah. or some shit. There's a poster out, uh, which is the first real thing for the uh, Ryan Gosling, Neil Armstrong drama First Man. So right. it's a lunar, lunar expedition good. thing. Yeah, I'd watch so that. It seems like it should be really interesting. About the moon landing? Uh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, so oh. it's got Kyle Chandler. So it's like um, a total
0: fantasy kind of film.
1: Yeah, it's a documentary about the thing. <laughs> how they that, f- how they faked it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um so that launches on October twelfth, this year. Um so that'll be super interesting. Yeah. Oh, there's a new Predator film that's coming out that's got a release date now. Uh so it's released in the UK on the thirteenth of September. Man, there's so many
0: fucking remakes. Yeah. Re-releases.
1: D- <laughs> Here's what I want. I want Alien versus Predator versus Jurassic Park, <laughs> where, like, the predator alien from that one fucks a dinosaur and makes, like, dinosaur predator aliens. <laughs> Fuck yeah. That's what I want. What
0: you're describing is basically the plot of Jurassic World 2. The fucking giant T-Rex that Yeah, but I also wanted to have, like,
1: like, a pharyngeal jaw that it can, like, eat people's faces with. That's what I really want out of it. A, a Jurassic Park <laughs> film. So, yeah, Joaquin Phoenix's uh, standalone Joker movie. Um, we mentioned that last week, yeah. We did, uh, but it's got a release date now, I think. Ooh. Um, so it's next year October 4th 2019 oh man these, oh, so, these
0: fucking bills! I would be more satisfied if they just tell me what's coming out next week
1: <laughs> yeah yep, yep well sorry Comic Con um, <laughs> in addition to uh, Jared Leto's Joker getting his own movie what? yeah ah. so this is going to be a fucking mess and as you can imagine based films. on precedent all of these are going to be excellent pieces of cinema <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I mean Walking Phoenix I think is a great actor.
1: And I would watch Yeah, it. that one might actually be good. And uh, to be honest, I think Jared Leto's one, Whatever Happened in Suicide Squad, is not representative of what that film's going to be like at all because, from yeah. what I understand, I've heard that, that movie awful. was so fucked that yeah. I'm not even sure you, people could know. Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, he's, do-
0: he's doing a film about the Charles Manson murders.
1: Yeah, so it was Should going could- to be released on the anniversary of the murders. Oh, absolutely not. No, don't <laughs> do
0: that. There are people that are still alive that were
1: affected by those murders. So they've. They've changed that. Oh, um,
0: poor Roman Polanski.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, um, the first stills come out which shows DiCaprio and Pitt just standing there in costume looking fucking sexy. Oh, um, Brad Pitt, right? <laughs> we're like DiCaprio in a pit. <laughs> <laughs> no, and Pitt. <laughs> DiCaprio and a pit. <laughs> um, so the new release date is 26th of July 2019. Yeah. Um, so I'm tentatively... Like, the cast sounds pretty good i don't know i was I, I i didn't mind hateful Eight, but i wasn't swept away with it like i have been by other tarantino films so i'm hoping that that's a bit of a return to form Hopefully. um there's a bit of a niche one but uh we talked about this off air uh there's a visual novel series called why the last man yeah in which, really um, good every male on earth dies of a virus except one dude and his pet male monkey uh so that there, there's a tv pilot being made of that, Ooh, that'd be um, good. and that'd they've be just good. That's announced some casting stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, Avengers Four is slated to have a definitive ending, um, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe headhunter right, Kevin Feige has promised that that one will cap it off, and after that they'll just never make another Marvel movie. Yeah, edition. well, you would hope so. Well, yeah. it's been nice. Yeah, exactly. Um, has it? Anyway, <laughs> so we talked about Denis Villeneuve's <laughs> Dune adaptation. Yeah. So they've cast. Oh no, they've they're in talks with. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're in this talks sounds like they haven't cast anything I want every bit of news on this film because I'm excited about it but um, they're, they're looking at uh, Timothée Chalamet he's uh, got a French name who the fuck is that Timothy Chalamet <laughs> uh, so he's cast as Paul which is the main character of the Dune oh, he's not cast he's in talks to be cast as Paul new news about uh, the filming of June. they've gone out and bought paper and pens <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> okay, so um, the the main pick for Paul at the moment is uh, yeah, Timothy Chalamet, who yeah, Who is that? Who was in Lady Bird as Sir Ronan's main love interest? Um, and and ne- next story. Next story. Uh, so Frozen Two is happening. Oh great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> fuck, that was a bad movie. <laughs> I've never
0: seen it. I, I feel like I know it's beloved. You've probably seen it about fifteen times. It's extremely popular, and candidates. I just
1: don't think it was justified at all. But whatever. <laughs> Anyway, so we get more of it. Yay. Is that the news for the week? Uh, There's one more, which we'll just touch on, is that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3... Uh, was supposed to be directed by James Gunn, same guy yeah. directed the other two. He yeah. tweeted out some edgy shit about 10 years ago, and some alt-right fuckwit um, has highly publicized it, despite having said much, much, much worse things on Twitter. And now Disney's Disney's him. dropped him, yeah. Marvel I mean, hasn't. Without, without knowing any
0: context for what he said, I don't want to be like, oh, poor guy, too much, but...
1: Yeah. So Disney's dropped him creatively, from... Creatively, those
0: first two films were great.
1: Yeah, and honestly, like, what, what he said was... Um, in in my in my opinion like it was it was shitty and it was in poor taste but it's obviously a joke and And also eight years ago disney just doesn't want to have that associated with them um which is sort of i suppose that's fair enough but that's a disappointment but also like god if we're gonna start firing people for everything they said online eight years ago everyone's fucked so um (laughs) take from that what you will it doesn't bode well for the film but they're gonna have to get someone else to direct it i guess Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 in trouble and that is the news great well I think that brings us to the end of the podcast
0: thanks for listening to episode 10 I've been Oscar I'm Andrew have a good week